welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Uh, Growing up in the 80s and 90s, uh, I was uh, absolutely mesmerized by like movie action heroes. I I just, I love them, right? Uh, Rambo, John McClane, Clint Eastwood, right? Chuck Norris, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, right? Arnold, right? That's not a tumor, right? Like all, everybody, everybody's got an Arnold, right? And, and to me, these, these guys, right, they're, they're like strong, they're, they're savvy, no matter how many bullets are shot at them or grenades put at their feet, they always survive, right? They always live. Uh, they were just the epitome of like, you know, these, these men. And they lived by this premise. And while they might not have always said it, it was clear when you watched the movies, and it was this. I don't need anybody, right? I, I do this on my own, right? I work solo, kid. I work alone. But uh, that, that last part always struck uh, a chord with me, and for some reason, it lasted longer than I would have, you know, expected it to. Uh, and, and I'm not entirely sure. You know, uh, this, this idea still rings in my life sometimes, and it's this, right? Strong people Strong people don't really need other people. They figure out life on their own, right? That just, that stuck in my brain and resonated with me for some reason, you know? And, and when I think about that, that that became a little bit of a guiding principle for me while I was growing up. And, and even after I said yes to Jesus as my forgiver and as my leader, that principle kind of hung around. And so, you know, whether you were into action stars or not uh, growing up or you still are, I don't know, maybe you can relate to that, to this idea that, you know, strong people, we don't, you don't need anybody, right? Like we, you figure out life on your own. And if you, and if you really need to rely on other people, uh, that's either, you know, kind of unnecessary or it can be like a sign of weakness uh, in that regards. And, and I don't know, maybe one of the reasons I likely leaned that way uh, early on is because, uh, you know, relationships are challenging. They're just, they just simply are. Relationships are challenging. Uh, do me a favor. Uh, everybody here on campus, uh, look at the person next to you, and I want you to say, relationships. All right, if you're on the online, type in the chat, type relationships, all right, because that's what we're talking about. Relationships are challenging. Relationships are messy. You're, they're always changing, right? You think things are fine and they're all right. Like, and, and you know, your wife or your girlfriend looks at you and says, everything's fine. And she's already figured out seven ways to kill you in which they'll never find the body, right? But, you know, as far as you know, everything's fine. Um, relationships are challenging, they're, they're, they're difficult, they're messy, they're always changing. And since relationships are challenging, what the, to compound on top of that, we as kind of a collective, as, as human beings, um, if, if we're really honest about it, we don't really grasp the true meaning and purpose of relationships, right? You say, how so? How can you say we don't really grasp the true meaning of relationships? Well, I would say this. Uh, First sign I think I I recognize as this. We tend to overvalue the wrong relationships, right? We tend to overvalue the wrong relationships. And what I mean by that is we'll spend lots of energy, lots of time trying to impress other people we don't even really know and some we don't even really like. Right? These people that are kind of acquaintances, and so we try to impress them with the way we dress, with our posts on Instagram, everything's placed just perfect, nicely, right? Trying to impress people we don't even really know. We tend to, uh, we tend to overvalue the wrong relationships. We also tend to undervalue the right relationships, right? After you've spent all this time and all this energy all day long trying to impress all these other people that you don't really know and you don't even really like, you come home and you're spent, right? And the people you do love, they get, they get crabby you. <laughs> they get tired you. Uh, they get uh, even the you that sometimes, right, like we're even a little bit hurtful. And so we undervalue the right relationships. Uh, many of us, just plainly, we, we approach relationships selfishly, 
We ask the question when we enter into relationships, basically, what's in this for me? How am I going to benefit? What am I going to get out of this? And what happens is when the relationship begins to teeter in the opposite direction and we're giving way too much or we don't feel like it's fair anymore, you have people who will pull out, right? Back out of a relationship because it's not fair anymore. And what I thought I was going to get out of it, I'm not getting out of it anymore. And we bolt. And then still there's others who kind of stiff arm relationships altogether, and they're just like, I don't need anybody. I don't want anybody, right? I, relationships are overrated, and I just do this thing on my own, right? And, and that may stem from being like really clearly hurt in some way in their life. And, and it's easier just to say, I don't need relationships, um, and I'll make this happen. And they assume it's better to avoid relationships than to engage in them at any level whatsoever. And so it's really, really key for us as people to have a biblical grasp on the purpose and the meaning of relationships, right? A biblical grasp. We need that. Uh, in, in the book People Fuel, uh, written by a Christian psychologist, name is John Townsend, the opening line from that book is this, everything significant starts with relationships. Let me say that again. Everything significant starts with relationship. And, I, you know, I think, I think Dr. Townsend is right. I mean, think about this. When, when something really good happens, right, you, you get the promotion. You get accepted into the school you always wanted to get into. That project you worked really, really hard on comes through. You have a baby. You get married, right? Whatever it is, this great thing happens. What's one of the first things that we do? Let me, yeah, yeah, we share it. We tell, I got to tell somebody else. Somebody else needs to know about this. I can't be the only one I'm bursting. I need to tell someone. When something really challenging happens, right? You get passed up on the promotion. Uh, you don't get the house you thought you were going to get. You, know, you put your best bid on, right? Things don't pan out the way something crushing, really challenging comes into your life, right? What do we tend to do? We share that with the people that are closest to us, right? We tend to share our disappointment with what's going on, Right? And so relationships touch every part of our lives, every one of us. Even if you wanted to avoid relationships, you can't, right? You go like, I don't need relationships. I'm, you're right. like, the only place you can go and avoid relationships is like some cave on a mountain in Tibet, right? You have to go there, and then you know, you're off by yourself, and then what happens is somebody else gets the same idea, and they show up, and then they're there together, right? And so you can't, you can't avoid relationships at all. And that is why we need a biblical grasp on relationships. And that's the goal of this series, right? Imago Dei, a theology of relationships. Now, Imago Dei is Latin uh, for, for, the, for the phrase, the image of God, right? Everything just sounds cooler in Latin. So that, you know, that's what, that's what you do. But Imago Dei means the image of God. And wrapped up in that one phrase, that little phrase, Imago Dei, the image of God, wrapped up in that is everything that's connected with our relationship to God as well as our connectedness and relationships to absolutely everything else, okay? In that one little phrase, we're talking about a relationship with God, we're talking about our relationships with everything else. And for the next five weeks, here's what we're gonna do. The month of January is we're gonna dive into scripture and looking at the character of God, what is the purpose? What is the meaning? What does relationships really look like from Scripture and from the Bible and how to engage in relationships the way that God does? And so if this is your first time at Lighthouse Community, uh, I'm so glad you're here today. Happy New Year to you, by the way. Uh, my name is Fritz Bilo. I'm, uh, I serve as one of the pastors here at Lighthouse Community. And then I also want to welcome our, our Bluffton launch team uh, joining us online at their location this morning. Uh, we're really excited. They're getting close to launching uh, their public Sunday morning services, and so we're really, really jazzed for them coming up in February. That's happening as well. Um, I also want to say good morning to our online campus. Glad you guys are here. Maybe if you would, type in the chat, uh, good morning. Let us know you're with us today. Uh, we're excited you're here. Um, and, and I would say this, uh, if you are part of our online group, uh, if you haven't, you know, we're streaming on Facebook, we're streaming on YouTube. If you haven't already, check out uh, mylighthousecommunity.com forward slash live. And that's where really our online campus is. And in one location, you get the live stream, 
Uh, you get a live interactive chat. You get the top three things you need to know. You've got the connection card right there for you, a couple links to get resources, uh, giving all of that kind of stuff. So if you haven't checked that out, I would go there. That's probably one of the best places uh, to engage with our online community uh, if you're going to do that. So, uh, and then I also want to welcome uh, all of you guys who are here this morning on our uh, on campus. So thanks for being here today. I'm so glad every one of you guys uh, are here this morning. And as Pastor Matt mentioned, if you brought a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 1. But I also want you to put a mark in John chapter 15, because we're going to start in Genesis 1, but we're going to make our way over to John chapter 15. So go there in your Bible or click over there on your device. All is good. Um, by the way, I also want to say this while you're going there. If this is your first time at Lighthouse Community, um, I just want to say this. Uh, you have a seat at the table here with the family. Uh, let me say that. You know, I don't know, you know, all of us are coming from different backgrounds. Some of us, we know who Jesus is, and, and we're trying to walk with him in, in faithfulness. Other of us, we're investigating, trying to discover who he is, um, just seeing what this is all about. Uh, no matter where you are on that spectrum, I just want you to know, you are welcome at this family uh, to discover who God is, uh, discover what the scripture says about him. Um, we want to help you discover truth about who God is and, and say yes to him as a leader, as the leader in your life. And so uh, before we go any further, uh, let's take a moment and, uh, and pray together. Father in heaven, I bless you overwhelmingly for the opportunity to gather. Uh, 2021, it's here. Um, there, there are a lot of people that were looking forward for this moment. And I pray that we would not place our hope in a year or a number. But instead, I pray, I, play that, I pray that we would place our hope uh, in the creator of the universe, uh, the sovereign Lord of creation, uh, who we can trust and guides every moment. Uh, help us to see clearly who you are from the scriptures today. We ask these things in your great name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, let's get into this. Uh, if we're going to have a handle... Uh, on the meaning and purpose of relationships, we really do have to start from the beginning, okay? So Genesis chapter one, verse one. Let's do this. Actually, let's read this out loud together from the screen, starting with in the beginning. Are you ready? Go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, we'll just, let's hang there for just a moment. So there's so much in these few 10 words, but here's the big piece that you've got to catch from, from this, this verse this morning is this. God is the creator, okay? Not a, not one among many. God is the creator. God created the universe. God created the galaxy. God created our planet. God created the environments that we live in. God created us. You are not a biological accident that happened upon the earth. You are created with intention by a purposeful creator. And that creator is God. That's very, very important. Because since God is the creator, inherent with that role of creator is he is also the one who determines purpose. The one who creates is the one who determines purpose purpose. You have to understand that. You have to own that in your mind. The one who creates gets to determine purpose. And so that's true for our universe, our galaxy, our planet, our environments. That's true also for us. The creator determines the purpose. Not only is God the creator of us and everything we know, God is also the creator of relationships. And so again, the creator determines the meaning and purpose of relationships, what they look like, and how they operate. What's interesting is God's not only the creator of relationships. You know this? Actually, God is the original relationship. Did you know that? God is actually the, right? He's the OG. He's the original relationship of, of all time, right? And you might be going, how, how can that be? Right? Because it's like Genesis 1, in the beginning God. It's just him. How can you say he's the original relationship? Well, look at verse 2. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here's what's happening. In Genesis chapter 1, 1, God introduces himself. And then, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, God introduces himself. 
right? That, that's what's going on here. God is introducing, in these first two verses, we meet God and we meet the Spirit of God, okay? Now, flip ahead, because some of you guys, okay, uh, I don't know if I'm tracking with you. Flip ahead to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, all right? This is going to make sense in just a second. This is the point when God creates people. By the way, we're going to talk more about this next week, but I just want to dial into this point here for a moment. Right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let me say that again. God, singular, said, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image after our, plural, likeness. Okay? So let me tell you what's going on here in these passages, right? Some of you guys are going, hey, wait, what's going on? God needs grammar lessons. That's what I know. You know, God, he, that's, what, that's what I know. God needs grammar lessons. That's what I'm picking up here. No, no, no. What God's doing is God is revealing who he is in small chunks. He's exposing, he's revealing who he is, the nature of who he is in these small chunks, right? God, singular, let us, plural, right? God, singular, God, plural. Verse one, God. Verse two, spirit of God. Then if you fast forward, you don't have to go there, but if you fast forward into the New Testament later, John chapter 14, Jesus reveals that who, right? Reveals that the us in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, is not only God and the spirit of God, but it's also Jesus, right? So what's happening here is he has having a conversation with his disciples, and one of his disciples, Philip, says this, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have, have, I, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? And then he says these powerful words, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, right? And so what's happening here is you're getting a revealing. You're getting exposed to who the us is in Genesis 1, 26. You see God in verse 1, the Spirit of God in verse 2, John chapter 14, Jesus makes really clear, I'm a part of the us. And so this singular and plural nature of God is what we refer to as the Trinity, okay? The Trinity. Now, maybe uh, if you've been in church, you haven't been in church, maybe you've heard that name before, maybe this is the first time you've ever been exposed to it. Let me briefly explain what the Trinity is biblically, okay? Because there's, there's three components to this, to, to really grasp biblically the Trinity. And the first is this, is that God is three persons, all right? God is three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's the first aspect of the Trinity. God is three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, the second piece of the Trinity is this, each person is fully God. And so you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all right? So God is three persons. Each person is fully God. Here's the last piece of the Trinity. The biblical understanding of the Trinity is this. God is one, all right? That's the Trinity. God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and God is one. Now, and so what we'd say is God is three in one. That's Trinity, that's, that's what the Trinity really means. Now, we've all kind of probably heard or maybe even used or tried to look for uh, different analogies to try to explain the Trinity, all right, to help us understand what that means and what that looks like. But every single analogy falls short to rightly be able to describe this beautiful mystery that we call the Trinity. Uh, actually, we have uh, a, a brief interview uh, between some parties as they were kind of navigating how to describe uh, the Trinity. So I want you to take a quick look at this video. Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time. So try to keep it simple, okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms, liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! 
What? Mortalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star and the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. All right, sorry. The Trinity is like uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm going to stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism. A heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously... I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean, really, Patrick. All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Moralism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. Ah, <laughs> uh, so there you go. Uh, it's best just to simply affirm what the Bible affirms about the Trinity as opposed to leveraging analogies, right? God is three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God is one. Now, you might be asking the question, why in the world would we take time to clearly describe the Trinity this morning? Well, number one, it's really core to what it means to being a biblical follower of Jesus. Christ, right? If you throw away the Trinity, everything else crumbles right down around that. Now, here's the other thing, is the Trinity reveals this, that God is the only one who can help me truly understand the meaning and the purpose of relationships, okay? Let me say that again. The Trinity shows us that God is the only one who can help me truly understand the meaning and the purpose of relationships. Why? How is that possible? Because God himself is relational. His nature is relational, right? For all of eternity, God has been Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? In a co-eternal relationship among, uh, through the three persons of the Trinity. And so if you want to grasp Real relationship, not a counterfeit, not a subset, not something that looks kind of close, maybe kind of a little bit, but real, authentic relationship. You have to look to God because he's the creator of it. He's the, the designer of it, and he's the original relationship. And so what I want to do is, is for our time is let's look at what God reveals about his relationship within the Trinity. So if you've had your mark ready to go, go to John chapter 15. We're going to read through a couple of passages quickly to see what uh, this exposes. So John chapter 15, verses 9 through 10. Let me give you a quick context while you're getting there. Uh, Jesus is hours away from uh, dying on the cross, right? So what's happened is he's just had a special meal with his disciples. We refer to this as the Lord's Supper. By the way, in just a little bit, uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Um, but in, a, in the few hours before Jesus' death, Jesus is sharing really key insights about who he is and how his disciples are going to live and what's gonna happen next. And so John chapter 15, verse nine and 10 says this. As the this is Jesus speaking, by the way. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. 
Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so what Jesus has done, Jesus has just exposed this massive truth about the Son's relationship with the Father. What he says is this, is that the Father loves the Son and the Son abides in that love. Now, I think one of the things we have to do very quickly is we have to define love. Because if we don't define that well, what will happen is we'll misinterpret everything else that comes on the back end of this. And so let me give you the biblical definition of love. This is literally the definition of love. It's this, unselfish commitment to another through action. That's love, right? Unselfish commitment to another through action. That's love. Do you see how that may include feelings, but it's way more than feelings? See how it includes emotions, but it's way more than emotions, right? Unselfish commitment to another through action. And so what Jesus is saying is this, is that the Father is unselfishly committed to the Son, and the Son abides in that and reciprocates that. The Son is unselfishly committed to the Father, in the same way that the father's unselfishly committed to him. And so you see that this relationship between the father and the son is clearly marked by unselfishness, right? Unselfish love. Now I want you to flip ahead to John chapter 16, and I want to read verses 13 through 15 uh, for just a moment, because you're going to see how the Holy Spirit plays a role within all of this as well. This is again, this is Jesus speaking. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, what does this reveal about right, God's relationship right, uh, in the Trinity? What this is saying is this. The Spirit speaks not on his own authority, but on the authority of God, right? So he's not out here just doing whatever he wants to do, but he's doing it on the authority of God. And Jesus goes so far to say this. Actually, the Spirit, what the Spirit does is the Spirit glorifies the Son. And he says, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, but he says the Spirit takes what belongs to the Son and he shares it with the disciples. And then Jesus makes a, a parenthetical note. He says, by the way, everything that belongs to the Son actually belongs to the Father. And so anything the Son has actually belongs to the Father. And so anything the Holy Spirit gives you actually belongs to the Son, which belonged to the Father first, right? Do you, do you, see, do you see what's going on here? Maybe, maybe a better way to say this is do you see what is not? going on in this relationship. You don't see selfishness. You don't see persons of the Trinity jockeying for position. I'm better. No, I'm better. You want to follow me? No, follow me. Follow me. Right? I don't, I don't, not him, me. Right? That's not going on here. See, Jesus says the Spirit speaks what God tells him, what God tells him, and only shares what belongs to the Son, which actually belongs to the Father in the first place, who unselfishly loves the Son, and the Son unselfishly loves the Father, right? The generosity, the care, and the lack of self-centeredness is remarkable in this relationship. You have to see that. You have to grasp that. Now, I want to take this one step further. Go to John chapter 17, okay? Verse 1, just verse 1. This is the beginning of Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, right? Right before he's arrested. And so when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. You see what's going on? The father glorifies the son. Why? So the son can glorify the father right? Glorify the Son, so the Son can glorify the Father. And while that's happening, the Spirit's glorifying Jesus, right? All that's going on, and the Son and the Father glorify the Spirit. Now, now just briefly, let me explain this word glory, or glorify, because this is an important word, and we got we to get it right. This word literally means to give weight, right? So to give glory to another person means to give weight to another person person, 
right? And so some wives are sitting there, sitting here thinking, going, you know, my husband has been putting on a lot of glory these last few years. You know, I, I, I think that's, that's, that's true. Listen, hey, that's inappropriate. But that's, that's, a, that's a right analogy. Um, so, but here's what we would say, right? My, my boss carries a lot of weight with the executives. When, when my boss speaks in that room, they listen, right? That's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about glory. Giving somebody a lot of weight. When they speak, we listen. When they act, we listen. When they do something, we pay attention, okay? Does that make sense? That's, that's glory. And so the father gives glory, gives weight, gives honor to the son and to the spirit. The son gives honor or glory to the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit gives honor and glory to the Father and the Son. So again, let me ask one more time. What is missing? Selfishness. Self-centeredness. A focus on number one, me, mine, right? All of it. That's not present here. And you've got to understand, especially if you're in a first century Jewish culture, Middle Eastern culture, honor is everything, you, you don't, you write, everything is about honor. Who you eat with determines your honor. Where you go determines your honor. Who you talk with determines your honor. And you always want to increase in honor, and you always want to get away from situations that's going to decrease your honor or increase your shame, right? You want to get away from all of that. And you don't just give away honor freely. And yet that's taking place here. And so you, you have to understand, in that culture, it's, like, it's blowing their minds here. And the point is this. That's what real relationships look like. That's what real relationships look like, right? Real relationships are marked by an unselfish commitment to others and honoring others over and above myself. Let me say that again because that's really key. Real relationships is about un unselfish commitment to others and honoring others over and above ourselves, right? Most of our relationships don't look like this. Most of our relationships are actually selfishly committed to me, are really about honoring me over and above others. So what do we do? What do we do with that, right? Well, I think it's this. Our relationships have the capacity to look like God's relationships. How I know that is because we're created in, in his image. We're going to expose that really clearly next week. But our relationships really can be marked with unselfish love and with honoring others over and above ourselves. Here's how we get there. The first stage is this, right? Is it, we, we've got to recognize that the way that you and I understand relationships and the way that God understands relationships are really, really different, <laughs> right? We're created in his image. He's the one who created relationships, which means he creates meaning and purpose for relationships. And so we don't take our understanding of relationships and squeeze God into that. What we do is we look to God and let him blow up our understanding of relationships and what it should be and what it should look like, right? We don't understand relationships the way that God does. And God is the only one who can help you understand the meaning and purpose of relationships. No one else can. Nobody else has capacity, right? Oprah is not going to lead you to better relationships, right? Like following the Kardashians, that is not going to help you understand, right? Dr. Phil, no good, right? Uh, God is the only one. God is the only one who's going to help you get a real grasp on relationships. And so since he's the only one who can teach us about relationships, real relationships, that means he's the only one we can learn from. And so you might be tempted to think, well, then the best thing to do is to, you know, get on Google, look up all of the Bible verses that talk about relationships and go do that, right? I would not start there, <laughs> right? I would not start there. I can't talk about why I wouldn't start there, but let me say this. You know what the first, the first and most pivotal way you can learn about relationships from God is, the first and most pivotal way you can learn about relationships from God is to actually enter into a real relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, right? That is the first and most pivotal way that you can learn about relationships from God, right? Because this is one of those things that, that until, you, you just cannot grasp it until you experience it first, 
You, you, you can't really grasp it. Like, I can tell you about God's love for me. I can even tell you about God's love for you. But until you experience it, until you firsthand, right, in your, in your own life, in your own self, right, until you experience it through a decision to re- receive his forgiveness, to receive his love, to have his Holy Spirit taken up residency within you, relationship remains a mystery. You, you can't even grasp. You can't even understand without that. And so that's why I say you can't go to the Bible and look up every verse about relationships. It's, it's not going to work. It's going to fall short. It's got to start with a real relationship with God first. And here's what I would say to you. right? If you're in a place right now this morning, you're like, hey, I think I understand what you're talking about, but I have not made a clear decision to follow Jesus Christ. Yeah, I believe there's a God. I believe that the Bible's true, but I have not given over leadership of my life to Jesus Christ. That's a key, pivotal decision for you yet to make, right? And you can actually make that decision today. If you sense God, right? Lead, calling your name, inviting you into it, whether you're here on this campus, whether you're at Bluffton, whether you're in our online campus, wherever it is, right? God can invite you wherever you are to say yes to him. But that's where it starts. That's where it begins, a real relationship with God. Until then, right? It's, you're never gonna grasp it. And, and I wanna take just, just a quick moment because you know, our Bluffton location is like six, six weeks away from launching uh, on Sunday morning, like doing public Sunday morning launch. They've getting things prepped and ready, but you know, February 14th, like that's the big day and we're all so excited and we are pumped about that day. So like, that's been something we've been praying for, working towards all of that stuff uh, for the last year plus uh, moving to that. So we're jazzed about this. But just for a moment, just for a moment, I wanna talk to the Bluffton team for a second. And, and, and everybody else kind of dive in and dial in on this, okay? Listen, developing real relationships with God and helping people dial into that is like the key central thing to leading an effective New Testament church, okay? So th- this idea, uh, you, just, you, got, you have to understand, like really flawless music, um, amazingly creative environments, stellar kids programs, all those things are good and they're fine, but that will not be the pivotal thing that God uses to draw people in, to know him genuinely and to take real steps of growth with him. What is it? It's this stuff we're talking about right here, right? right? What makes a New Testament church effective in sharing the gospel is clearly sharing the gospel from scripture. It's opening up doors for people to discover and use their spiritual gifts once they've come to faith in him and and inviting them into these kinds of relationships. Unselfish commitment to your city, unity around the mission of Jesus Christ, right? Like that's what makes an effective New Testament church. And so I just wanna encourage you, do not settle for quality ministries, right? Don't settle for that. Like chase after what it means, what it looks like to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ and point people to that as well, right? What does Jesus say about uh, people are going to know that you belong to me by the way you love one another? Every, that's what he says, John chapter 13. Everyone's gonna know you belong to me. Everyone's gonna know you're gonna be transformed by my grace, not by your awesome, flashy, incredible ministries and what you do and all this kinds of stuff. They're gonna know you belong to me by the way you are unselfishly committed to one another, the way you're unselfishly committed to, to God, the way you're unselfishly committed to your city, right? That's it. God is the only one that we can learn relationships from. You have to see that. You've got to grasp that. If you look anywhere else, you're going to fall short. And so we've got to turn to him. I want you to think about all the relationships you have, okay? Just think about that for a second. Think about all the different relationships you have, right? Your family, mom, dad, sister, brother, kids, spouse, aunts, uncles, cousins, right? All, all of those relationships. Think about your, your relationships with your friends at school, at work, on sports teams, the neighborhood, online, right? All, all those relationships. Then you got your relationships at work, coworkers, managers, reports, vendors, outside people, right? All sales, all that kind of stuff, right? Your dating relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, wish they would be, boyfriend, girlfriend, right? Crush, 
sending love notes to them from afar. This will happen. I don't know. Anyways, yeah, right? Throwing pebbles at their window at night. Cops get called. Um, yeah. <laughs> right? Think about your relationship. Even the pe- think about the relationships of people you're uncomfortable being around, right? You see them at Walmart, you duck down the aisle. Chances are they already saw you, they left first, right? <laughs> think about all the relationships that we all have. Every one of us have them. We all have relationships that bring us joy and fulfillment. You just hear their name and your eyes light up. You're like, oh, I can't wait to be with them. Oh, man, you got all these memories. You're thinking about them. And, you know, it's like, oh, it's so good. And then we all have relationships that bring us heartache and they're a drain, right? Their name comes up on the phone, right? You let it go and forget to check your messages for you for, for your days, right? All of that. Relationships that have left you sleepless in worry. Relationships you wish you could change, but you don't even have a first clue on how to do that, on what that looks like. I think about all the relationships. Imagine, imagine, imagine just for a moment. Imagine for a moment what God could do in your marriage. Imagine for a moment what God can do in your family. Imagine for a moment what God can do in your friendships, what God can do in your relationships at work. Imagine for a moment what God could do in your school, in your neighborhood, on your team, in your dating relationships, right? All of that stuff. Imagine what God could do. Imagine how God could bring healing to some of the most painful parts of your life right now. Imagine how God could bring hope, right, to relationships that you thought were dead, thrown off a cliff, buried, dug back up, burned, pulverized, and buried again, right? Imagine what God could do, in the, right, because nothing's impossible with God, right? He can, God can restore, but the only way that happens is when our first relationship, our most, right, our priority relationship, our most important relationship is the one with God, and we learn how to navigate relationships from him. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to take just a very quick survey. Do me a favor. I'd like you to raise your hand here, and then if you're online, kind of just type me in the chat. But if you're on campus, I want you to do this. I want you to raise your hand. If you have at least one relationship, relationship in your life, just raise your hand right now. Put them up. Put them up. You got at least one relationship. Yeah, everybody's. Yeah, everybody's hand should be up, right? So this is like to everybody. The only person, the only people who don't have relationships are potatoes, right? Potatoes don't have relationships with anybody, and so they're the only ones who shouldn't have their hands up. So here's the first. Here's what I want to invite you into. Here's the first decision I want you to make: is hang with us, continue with us over the next five weeks of Imago Day. Let me fill you in on what you're going to discover. Next week, you're going to discover what makes humans so unique, right? And how we can engage in relationships. Work th- week three, you're going to uncover how, like, why relationships are so complex and how God actually restores them, okay? Week four, you're going, to, uh, you're going to find out how God actually uses relationships as the primary vehicle for spiritual growth, Right? Just absolutely remarkable. And then uh, our last week, you're going to catch God's ultimate vision for relationships. It's actually really amazing. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. And so uh, here's what I invite you to do. Make the decision right now to journey with us through Imago Day, Whether it's on campus, online, at Bluffton, whatever it is, journey with us the next five weeks. And what you can do is you can actually mark that on the back of your blue connection card or online. Say, hey, I'm coming back for Imago Day, And you can crank it up a notch by inviting a friend, maybe somebody you have a relationship with, Uh, to come and join you, and they can discover about a relationship with God and what it looks like to be in relationship with him and how that flows, right? So that's the first decision I want you to make. Here's the second decision I want to invite you to make. It's this. Sign up for Lighthouse Group, okay? Sign up for Lighthouse Group. I want to encourage you. Today is day one of week one of signups, and I want to encourage you, don't miss out. Don't, don't sidestep this, right? Because here's what happens. The longer you wait, the more possible it is that the group you want to be a part of, it's not going to be available. Because once they fill up, there's a point where groups fill up and we close them and nobody else can sign up for them. And so sign up today, right now even. Listen, lighthouse groups are so, you know what they are? Lighthouse groups are labs, not the dog, right? They're, they're laboratories. Lighthouse groups are laboratories. They're these places where you can get together with other people and experiment like how, what does real biblical friendship look like? 
in the image of God. What does it look like to care for one another through prayer and serving each other intentionally? What does it look like when a group of people get together to learn about Jesus Christ and grow spiritually? What does all of that look like? That's what happens in Lighthouse Groups. You get to discover the character of God together, right? And you get to build real friendships with other people. And so I want to encourage you, uh, sign up for group. There's groups all throughout the week, right? Dive in on this. We've got groups for you. Uh, I'm in a group. Uh, our entire team is in groups, right? This is how critical, this is how important groups are. And listen, you, you, you ain't cool unless you're in lighthouse groups, right? And you can consider me Miles Davis, right? Like that's like the like lighthouse groups is like just seriously jump into one. Uh, you you will not regret it. It's ten weeks. It's fantastic. Matt already shared with you how you can do that. Very very simple. Here's, here's why I say that. I, I'm not Rambo, okay? Shocker, right? You're, you're, not, you're not John McClane. None of us are Arnold, all right? That's like, it's, we, we are not, those are imaginary characters in a fake movie. We're real. You're real. And real people need relationships. We really need one another. We really need God, Right? He's the only one who can teach us what meaningful, real relationships look like. And so let's lean in. I want to invite you to close your eyes and, and bow your heads. We, we finish uh, every teaching the same way. It's simply asking this question. Jesus, what are you saying to me uh, through this message, through this passage? And I just want you to take a moment and listen. overwhelmingly you God made clear to you through the scriptures and through his spirit that he's he's the only one that can lead us in healthy biblical right relationships nobody else could I can't do it you can't do it God's the only one and to point to him and to look to him and to trust him through every step of the way he's the only one who can teach us what real relationships look like he's the only one who has perfect relationship. And so here's what we're going to do. We're, what, what we're going to do is we're actually going to transition into a time that really signifies what real relationship looks like. We're going to celebrate what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And, and what this is, is this is a really key moment for believers to remember the cost, right? What it cost to restore a right, healthy relationship with God. And so every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, every time we, we, we are take part in communion, we're reminded that it was not cheap, it was not free. Actually, it took overwhelmingly overwhelmingly it took the life of Jesus Christ God to enter into our brokenness to live the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve to die Jesus did that on our behalf and so communion is a really clear reminder of that now I want to give you a few instructions about communion while I do that, uh, I want to invite our servers, uh, Colin Woods, to come and kind of prepare. They're going to get the elements ready uh, for us to take together. But let me tell you a few things about communion just briefly. And it, it's simply this. Communion is a time of celebration and remembrance for the family of God. right? And so scripture is really, really clear that this is a time for the family to remember what Christ has done on our behalf. And that if you're not a believer, if you have not come to the place where you have trusted Jesus as your leader and your forgiver, if you don't have a real relationship with God, scripture actually says this, when communion is served, don't take it, right? Why? Actually, because it says this, you're actually eating and drinking judgment on yourself when you do that. And so we don't want anybody to eat or drink judgment on themselves. So if you're not a believer, I would encourage this, don't come, don't come forward and take communion. But if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, right, you are welcome. We have what's known as open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of Lighthouse Community to receive communion. 
but you do need to be a member of the family of God, okay? Because this is a time for the family to celebrate. But if you just made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, I would encourage you in this. Celebrate your first communion with us this morning, <laughs> right? And, and, if, and if you know, like, you're wrestling with stuff, man, like, confess that to the Lord this morning. Don't, this is, this is a place of grace, right? Communion is not for the perfect. Communion is for those who know they need Jesus Christ. Communion is for those who recognize they need a Savior, who need someone to intercede on their behalf and to make their relationship with God right. And so this is a time of confession. This is a place of confession. And so here's what we're going to do. Uh, Chris and Haley will be here at the front of, of each of these aisles. And I'm going to invite everybody to, to stand who'd like to receive communion. And you'll come down the center aisles. And what you're going to do is you're going to grab two cups. They're stacked, stacked one on top of each other. The juice is in one cup. The bread is in the one right below it. So make sure you grab two. And then you're going to head outside the outside aisles. And then you can return to your seats from that place. I think that'll probably be the most organized way to do that here. Um, but before you come, let me pray. And then as you're ready, you come and receive the elements. And then wait to take them because we'll take communion together. Father in heaven, we, we recognize overwhelmingly that the only reason we have a right relationship with you is because of you. We, we don't do anything to deserve it. We don't do anything to earn it. It is by grace through faith that we have been saved. It's a gift so that no one may boast you've done all the work and you give us all of the benefits and so help us to live by faith to trust you by faith to recognize that it's by grace we know and live and breathe and have our moving and we can grow in knowing who you are and we can trust you more and more and help us to respond by saying yes every day every moment to Jesus Christ as forgiver and leader of our lives. We worship you overwhelmingly. We thank you that you, Jesus, instituted this time of remembrance for us so that we could know you more and more. We ask these things overwhelmingly in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. All right, if you'd like to stand right where you're at and you can come forward, come down these center aisles. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.